Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Say the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. I think that's true in your life with Jesus too. The first most important day is the day you accept Him and you become born again. And the second most important day is the day you find out why. And you'll never know you apart from Jesus. He defines everything about you. So we're not pursuing miracles, we're pursuing Jesus. We're not pursuing healing, we're pursuing Jesus. We're not pursuing revelation, we're pursuing Jesus. It's all about Him. Always has been and always will be. Those things are just the byproduct of a relationship with a God that's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving. Isn't that good? See, so often we try to, to effort, our effort, to, I got to do this so I can do it. No. Just learn how to know God. Just have a relationship with God. That's all He wants. Today we're going to talk about the value of all things. And so a few weeks ago, my dearly good friend, Phil Kiefer, started a, a series called All About Phil. And so if you were here the last week or the week before, you'll know that it's not really all about Phil Kiefer. It's all about Phil what? Philippians. Philippians. Philippians is a book the Apostle Paul wrote while chained to a guard in a Roman jail. Uh, he talks a lot about joy Bill's first message from that was having joy in all circumstances, how that no matter what you're going through, we can rejoice in the Lord. Uh, last week, my message was having peace in all circumstances. And this week, I want to talk about the value of all things. You guys get the, it's like all, all, all. Get that? All about Phil. And so, if you think for a minute, what, 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 what creates or causes something to, to increase in value? What makes something more valuable than something else? Demand. Okay, right. The, uh, if you ever took economics, right? If you learn economics, supply and demand, right? The, the, the more, and we see this in the car business right now. There's very little supply. Demand hasn't gone down, so the price does what? goes up. As inventory comes back and, and supply increases, prices will do what? Drop. So, so supply and demand can, 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 can raise the value or raise the price of something. Uh, something could have uh, aesthetic value. So like art or, or a piece of furniture that it's, it's pleasing to the eye. Anybody ever been to a, a museum? I've been... Some things have scarcity value. 
Some things are rare, like, like a gemstone, right? There's only certain gems, there's only certain quantities, maybe they can only be found in certain countries. So, so some things are scarce. There, there's, there's value that's created by the fact that something has a use or a purpose. This table, believe it or not, ha- has, has value. Why does it have value? It serves a purpose, right? Not much of a purpose, but nonetheless, it's probably worth $10. I don't know. It's, it's got some value because it serves a purpose. What about, what about things that are the, the same thing? What makes one pair of Jordans worth more than another pair of Jordans? Oh, now you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Who's ever bought, owned, either has a pair of Jordans now or, or previously had a pair of Jordans? i got to put my hands down because I've never had a pair of Jordans. All right. It, spin out. What, I mean, what, what? Just throw. I don't even know. What, what have you guys paid for a pair of Jordans? What's a? 200. So wait a minute. Depends on the sex of the shoe. Like, <laughs> oh, men's shoes or women's shoes? I thought you meant if it was a male shoe or a female shoe. All right. So two hundred, three. Anybody ever pay more than that? Two fifty. Do I hear three hundred, three, three, four, four? Six hundred. I don't get it. Why would anybody pay that much for a shoe? Do you know that last October, October 2021, the most expensive pair of Jordans that were worn previously sold for $1.48 million? Boom. They were worn by Michael Jordan in 1984. Now, why you would want to buy a shoe that's been sweated in if I sold you a pair of my used shoes, would you buy them? So we could sit around all day and talk about the shoes that we've bought. I've, you've paid 200, 300, 400, 500, 600. Maybe somebody's even paid $1,000. And you could compare those all day long. But when I compare that to the value of a shoe worn by Michael Jordan, all those things become insignificant. And what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us today is that the things that we think have value, when compared to something of infinite value, really have no value at all. And you're going to see that that as you go through the Christian life, we want to, oh, look what I did. Oh, yeah, well, look what I did. Oh, yeah, well, look what I did. Well, what I did is better than what you did, and what she did is better than what he And when you compare that to something of infinite value, which Paul says is knowing Jesus, it's all worthless. It has no value. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read from Philippians chapter 3 today, and we're going to read verses 3 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, 
no condemnation. Get your phones out. Or if you don't have a phone, it'll be up on the overhead. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 3 through 11. So three things I want to talk to you about today. Position, I'll give them to you now. Position, power, and partnership. Three Ps again. We had three Ps last week. Position, power, and partnership. And when we get to it, position, as Paul says, that I may be found in him not having my own righteousness. Power, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then partnership, that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, which is what not one a lot of people want to talk about. Position, power, partnership. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 3 says, We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these have I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Father, we ask that you would teach us today. Lord, open our eyes. Let us get come deeper into relationship, into fellowship, into intimacy with you. In Jesus' name. What's the next slide, guys? So Paul says this. He says, I've counted. This translation says counted. It just means to consider that, that I, I think of or I consider these things. He says, I've counted what things were gained to me. These I've counted lost for Christ. The things, the things in my life that were once important. The things in my life that at one point in my life, these had great value. Paul says this, he says, he says I was, if, if anybody has reason to, 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 to be proud of what they've done, it would be me. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. Not that he had anything to do with that. That was actually his parents. But he circumcised the eighth day. He said that I am of the stock, literally I'm a full-blooded Jew. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm in covenant with everything the Jews are entitled to because I'm a full-blooded Jew. He said that I'm of, the, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a privileged tribe because if you think about it, 
Benjamin was the one tribe, the first tribe that the first king of Israel came from, Saul. It was also the tribe that joined with Judah when, when Israel split. So there's some privilege with the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, I'm it. Like, if you talk about a Jew, I, I, I'm it. From the time I was born until now, I've got the heritage, I've got the ancestry, it runs through my blood. But he said beyond that, there's things, not only I inherited, but things I've done. He said, when it comes to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, if you know anything about Pharisees, there was about 6,000 of them at the time. They, they prided themselves on keeping every minute little detail of the law. They lived a life of the do's and don'ts. They knew the law. They practiced it. And they were above reproach. He says, concerning the law, a Pharisee, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, he said, I was so zealous for, for the things of God that I persecuted the church because we believed the church was, were heretics at the time. He said, I, I was zealous for the things of God. And then he goes on to say, concerning righteousness that comes from the law, I was blameless. So I was a Pharisee concerning the law, but concerning righteousness that comes from the law, I wasn't sinless, but I was blameless. I kept everything to the best of my ability. So Paul didn't have to come to a point in his life where he, he, he wasn't a loser, right? A lot of people come to Jesus because you're at the end of your rope. That wasn't Paul. That wasn't Paul. Paul, Paul. Paul had it going on. He said, if anybody had a reason to glory in the flesh, it was me. He said, but all those things that I thought were gain... I now count them, and I counted them as loss. And you notice it says, I have counted. What is that? Past tense? It's actually in the perfect tense, which means I counted them once and for all time done with, never to do it again. And I believe that happened on the road to Damascus. I believe that happened when Paul, he's on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to, to arrest Christians. He has an experience with Jesus and he says, who are you, Lord, and what do you have me to do? See, from the day that Paul had an experience with Jesus, he says, who are you? I want to know you. And all those things I thought I had right, I realize now they're nothing. And he says, I also, not only did I count in the past, but I have counted uh, loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss and count them as what? Past, present, and future. The things I did. So maybe you weren't like Paul. Maybe you, maybe you came to Jesus because you were at your end of your rope. But what about now? What are you pursuing now? What are you trying to do now? What are you trying to, to do to earn God's favor now? If I ask you to write down the best thing you ever did for God, think about that. What's the best thing you ever did for God? Maybe you witnessed to somebody. Maybe you uh, shared your faith. Maybe you quit doing a certain thing, whatever it is. Paul says, I count it as rubbish. Some translations don't say rubbish. It says what? 
Oh, yeah, garbage or dung. It actually means both. Scubalon, Greek word for, for rubbish. Scubalon means, it means dung. It means excrement. Poop. Okay, yeah. Let's make it a one-syllable word. Poop. It can mean one of two things. It can mean poop or it can mean garbage. Either one. Either of them are worthless. But you remember when I was asking you about who's paid what for a Jordan? See, a lot of times we want to do with that with the things we've done right for God. But at the end of the day, you're just polishing turds. I mean, really, let's be honest. I mean, you can polish that thing all day long, but at the end of the day, it's still a turd. You know, I got some of you probably want to put it in a frame and you put it up on the wall. Hey, look at my turd. I actually thought about going out in the yard this morning and getting one of Grayson's yard biscuits and putting it in a frame and see who would pay for that. You know, we want to put it on the wall. We put it on a badge on our our chest. Look what I've done for God. It's worthless. It's never about what you do for him. Paul says you can take all that and take it out with the trash. Because when you compare, I don't care what you've ever done for God, compared to the value of knowing Jesus, it's worthless. Look at this in the uh, things you think are valuable are actually worthless when compared to something of infinite value. Look at this in the New Living Translation. I like the way verses 7 and 8 say this. It says, I once, thought, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, your, your, my, my Lord. See, later in the text when he talks about that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul's talking about not just knowing facts about God. See, a lot of people know facts about God. I bet you some of you know some facts about Michael Jordan. Right? If I said, tell me about Michael Jordan, you could probably tell me facts about him. You could probably say, well, he's currently 59 years old. He's been married twice. He's got five kids. He had five... uh, MVP and player of the year. He's worth 1.6 billion. That's from all you guys buying them Jordans. He's laughing all the way to the bank. But do you know Michael Jordan? What do you know about him? And see, a lot of people today could quote facts about God. Well, he's good. God is love. God's eternal. But you don't have an experience with God. The word know is actually a word of intimacy. It means to know from experience. You might know the guy that delivers your FedEx package. Well, he's five foot seven. He's got red hair. He's he's got an average build. He wears a brown suit every day. But do you know what makes him tick? 
you know what he went through as a kid? You know what his marriage is like? You might know my wife. You might know that she's beautiful. You might know that she's six. Don't go and wait, she says. I wasn't going to. <laughs> and she weighs less than 500 pounds. You guys know that. Safe. Always stay safe. That's safe. Safe. But you don't know her like I know her. You don't know her because I've spent time with her for 29 years. Coming into that knowledge. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says that I, for the, all that stuff is worthless for the surpassing excellence of knowing Jesus. Not just Jesus, but my Lord. See, it's not, you ever hear people say, oh, you know, the man upstairs. Anybody know the man upstairs? I don't want to know the man upstairs. I want to know Jesus. I don't want to know the big guy in the sky. I want to tell you about my Jesus. I want to tell you what he's done for me. I want to tell you that he loves me. That he died for me. That he lives in me. And compared to knowing that, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. So I want to talk to you about a few benefits, three benefits today of knowing this benefit of knowing Jesus, of getting to know him, to realize that what you do doesn't matter in comparison to what he's done. Paul says this, he says, uh, position, we're going to call this position. He says that I may be, what? Found. Now, you're, you're not lost, okay? It's not like you're finding your, oh, i got to find myself. No. Find yourself in God. See, in Christ defines everything about you. You don't need to go searching around the world to find yourself. You just need to look in God's word and let it define for you what you are in Christ. But he says that I may be found. That word find... It means to, to discover by experience. So it's not just something, oh, I found me in Christ. Oh, here I am. No. The reality is the day that you get saved, you when you make Jesus Lord of your Savior, it says that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. And so when you make Jesus Lord of your life, you're baptized into, placed into Christ. You're in there. But a lot of people don't realize the benefit of being in Christ. So he says that I may be found, that I may get to this point where I, I discover by experience the reality of what that really means. He said that I may be found in him not having what? Or having, let's, having the righteousness which is of God by faith. Let's go to the next slide so you can see the whole verse. It says that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is what? From the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. How many kinds of righteousness are listed there? Okay, let me, let me help you out. It says, having not mine own righteousness, that's how many? One, but having, which from God, that would be 
Two. Okay. How many types of righteousness are there? Two. Two. So when we talk about righteousness, we're not talking about, the reason we say position is that I'm in him, but, but righteousness literally means right standing before God. That when I stand before a holy God, because of what Jesus did, I can stand there innocent, guiltless, faultless, ju- the word justified, just as if I never sinned. And that's how God sees me. I can have his righteousness, or I can have my righteousness. So Paul, Paul, there was a time in his life when he had his own righteousness. He said, concerning righteousness that comes by the law, I am blameless. I've kept it to the T. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. So Paul was a Pharisee, and Paul kept the law, and as far as righteousness goes by the law, he was blameless. Well, guess what Jesus said about the righteousness that comes by the law? Not yet. (laughs) Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness does what? Equals, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul kept it better than any of us ever will. And he says, unless you keep it better than Paul, matter of fact, God's standard is perfection. Unless you can keep it perfectly, you're not getting in. Now, do you want choice A or choice B? There's choice A, that it's your righteousness, and you're going to fail every time, and you're not going to go to heaven. Or I can choose B, I feel like I'm doing a sales pitch. This is like an easy choice. It's like when God said, or Moses saying to the children of Israel, he says, I lay before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Like, duh. No, I think I'll choose death. But he says, hey, here's the other side. He says that God will supply you his righteousness. And his righteousness, you don't have to do anything for it except one thing. Righteousness that comes by faith. That's it. That's all you have to do. As my student in the front row said, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, he says that all of our righteousness as, that's a hard one to say, all of our righteousness as are as what? Filthy rags. It's literally a menstrual rag. Another thing that you would throw out in the garbage, trash. Everything you can do good in life, everything that that you could do on your own is literally something that needs to go out in the trash. So what do we do? I think I'll take option B. See, because when Jesus came to the earth, Jesus took on everything that that we should have. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who knew no sin, that was Jesus, never sinned, he lived perfect, him who knew no sin to be sin for me, for you. He's my Savior. He sinned for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
Where am I standing? In him. Where am I righteous? In him. How do I get righteousness? By faith. That's my position. That's my position. You can take all the good that you can ever do and throw it out. Worthless. As a matter of fact, if you try to earn God's favor, it's actually blasphemy because you are saying that what Jesus did wasn't good enough. And it doesn't just apply to salvation the day that you receive Jesus. It's if you're trying to earn his favor, whether you're trying to earn his blessing, whether you're trying to earn his healing, any of it. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. And here's the great thing that once we get saved, you know what the Holy Spirit reminds us of? What's the Holy Spirit convict us of? Boy, everybody likes to say sin. I want to show you a verse in John chapter 16. Okay. If I've been made what? Righteous. My position is righteous. God sees me what? I'm in Christ. So if I, if I put, if I fold this paper up and put it in this book, what do you see? I shouldn't call this a book, the written Bible. What do you see? If I'm in Christ, what does God see? Christ. He doesn't see me. So if he sees me in him, and in him I am righteous, what would it make sense that the Holy Spirit would convince me that I am? Righteous. Look at John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. It says, now he's talking about when the Holy Spirit comes. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world of what? Three things. What are they? Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not in me. Of righteousness, because you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Did you hear it? He convicts of sin because who? They. Do not believe. When Jesus came, Jesus came and paid for every sin. I will tell you that there's only one sin, I don't care what you've ever done in your life, there's one sin that will send you to hell. Unbelief. Because as soon as you believe, the slate's wiped clean. I don't care how bad it is, how egregious it is, how horrific it is, how embarrassing it is, when you believe, it's gone. It's not covered up, it's gone. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict them. Who are them? The ones that aren't saved. I will convict them of sin because they don't believe. So the Holy Spirit's work in the life of an unbeliever is to convict or to convince them that you're a sinner and you need to believe in Jesus. Now the next phrase he goes to the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. He says... When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict them of sin because they don't believe in me. He'll convict you or of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no longer. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the disciples the night before he goes to the cross. This is for us. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict or convince you or, or give evidence to that you're righteous because I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm not going to be here to say, hey, 
If I'm Jesus, you're righteous. Hey, you're righteous. Hey, you're righteous. I can only talk to one person at a time. But the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And the whole time he's in you, God's seeing you in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's inside of you going, hey, you're righteous. You're righteous. Now, why do you feel weird about sin? Because he's inside of you going, you're righteous. You're better than that. You're righteous. God didn't make you that way. You're righteous. You know, you know better than that. That's not who you are. God made you the righteousness of God in him. You know better than that. But all time, he's not saying you're worthless, you're a sinner, you're no good, you need to repent, you need to get on. No, he's telling you you're righteous. When you learn and you realize what Jesus did for you and what the Holy Spirit's doing for you, you're not going to want to sin. When you realize who you are in Him, if I'm righteous in Him, why would I want to do those things? Why would I want to do that when the Holy Spirit's telling me otherwise? I could spend all day on right. I love right. If you didn't know, I love righteousness. Paul says, whatever you do good, worthless, compared to knowing who you are in Him, being found in Him, not having your own righteousness, but the righteousness that's of God by faith. It's invaluable. See, if you want to walk life, know who you are in Christ. If you want to have confidence in your relationship with, with God, know who you are in Christ. The more I know, so here's why it's so valuable, because the more I know who I am in Him, the devil's not talking me out of it. All right, second thing. Power. It says that I may know him and the what? Power of his resurrection. This is power. Dunamis. Miracle working power. Paul says that I may know, that I may become acquainted with, they may I by experience get to know his... Look... It's His righteousness. It's His power from His resurrection. And it's going to be His sufferings. What makes the Jordans worth more than than the ones that you have? Because the guy that has His name on Him used to own them. What makes this stuff more valuable? Because it came from Jesus. You're not getting Phil's righteousness, as good as that might be. You're not getting my righteousness. You're getting Jesus' righteousness. It's His power. His resurrection. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. So a lot of times when we think of of miracle working power, we talked earlier about about Alex laying hands on on his mom's knee and, and the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus healing her. But you know, the power of the Holy Spirit the resurrection power, there's other things that work in your life more than just miracles or in addition to miracles. Do you know that the very power, Paul tells this in in Ephesians chapter 1, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you? Is that worth anything? (laughs) Let's see. I can have a pair of 1984 Jordans for a million five, or I can have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That might be of some value. 
He says this, he says, now it doesn't say it so much in chapter 1, but I put chapter 3, verse 20 there with it. It says, now earlier in this, Paul says that you may know, verse 18, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to, or in proportion to, the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's verse, chapter 120. Then uh, chapter 3, verse 20 says this, and you probably know this verse too. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. You've heard that before? The rest of this verse says, according to the power that is at work, where? In you. The same power that brought Jesus, who'd been dead in the grave three days, the same, the same power that brought him up out of the grave seated him on high next to God the Father, that power is in you. I ain't got no power. Why in the world would you be chasing a higher power when you've got the highest power in the universe in here? Every higher power is subservient to the resurrection power of Jesus. And you're settling for less. See, resurrection power is power that will help you to not sin. I don't want to sin. I hate sinning. I still do it probably every day. I'm getting better. My wife never sins. She, she's my in-house Holy Spirit. She's like, I just sinned because I lied. <laughs> I, I just wanted to get it out of the way for the day, you know? And Kristen used to fight me. Now she just says, you're better than that. That's not you. She's like my in-house Holy Spirit. And then what do, you, what do you do? You're just like, oh, you're right. Look at Romans chapter 6. Next slide. It says, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here's what happens. When you accept Jesus, remember Jesus died, was buried, and then did what? Rose again. And it says when you accept Jesus, your old man, your sin nature, died with him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, remember what it said in 2 Corinthians, it says he became what for us? Sin. When he went to the grave, he took all that with him. When he came back to life, did he come back with all that sin? No. He came back in a new body. When you accept Jesus, the old you dies, the new you comes up, raises with him, and your new life inside of you is the same as the resurrected Jesus Christ. And it says this, it says that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died is free from sin. You don't have to sin anymore. Resurrection power is the power to walk away from sin. You don't have to do it. You choose to do it. If you're a believer and you're in sin, you're choosing to sin. I don't care how stuck you seem, you're not stuck, you're free. It might seem like you're stuck, but you're not stuck. God's Word says you're free. It doesn't matter what it seems like, what it feels like, how bad it is. He says you are free. 
See, it says this. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, You shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh if you walk in the Spirit. Right? Walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So when I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit, when I'm walking in His power, when I'm listening to what He tells me to do, it says I won't do it. Because if I truly listen to what He's telling me, it won't be sin. That's the power of the resurrected Jesus. That's worth something. Or do you want to go try, well, my willpower. I'm trying really hard. Well, you're trying can go hang on the wall with them other turds. <laughs> Quit trying. Know who you are in Christ. See, it's power to not sin. It's also power, we talked about this earlier, it's power for healing. You have healing power. Just think about this. If the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, is there any issue in your physical body that's greater than Jesus being dead for three days? No. Be like this. If I can jump two steps... Does anybody think I can jump one? Why? Because one's less than two. And if the power brought Jesus back from the dead, anything in your body's less than that. It's in you. Jesus says this. He said, if the Spirit of Christ, uh, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life. That's the God's life. He says, it's not talking about life in your born-again spirit. He says, I, you can have life in your mortal body. Your body is mortal. That means it's, it's apt to decay. We're all going to physically die one day unless Jesus comes back before that. So as you're decaying, as your body's going downhill, you have the life-giving power that brought Jesus from the back from the dead in you and can be released into your physical body. He says you can give life to your mortal body. I pray this scripture over people all the time. Is that worth something? Well, just take my pills, go to my counselor. That's okay. I take medicine too. Sometimes God heals through medicine. Sometimes God heals through doctors. But my God, He heals miraculously too. It's a lot quicker. Partnership. Position. Where are we at? What's our position? In Christ, having His righteousness or mine? His. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I can't wait till Easter. I feel like, I feel like it's going to be a power Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking about Easter Sunday message. And now partnership. Oh, boy, you know, when you become a Christian, life will be a, a bowl of cherries. When you become a Christian, it'll be a bed of roses. Yeah, with the thorns. 
you're going to have some difficult times. If you're truly walking with Jesus, you're going to go through some stuff. And I'm not trying to prophesy negative things or anything. It's just reality. Why would Paul see value in knowing Jesus and, and, and the fellowship? That word fellowship, koinonia, it means, it means intimacy. It, it means communion, partnership, to have a, a part in, to share in things. Why would Paul see a value in sharing in the sufferings of Jesus? How in the world could that be valuable? Have you ever gone through a really tough situation? You ever join a support group for that particular situation? You get to share with people who have gone through it before or maybe going through it now? Do you develop a special bond with that person? How about when you've gone through something, you're able to what? Empathize with what they're going through. You're able to say, hey, I've been there. Here's what I went through. And all of a sudden, you begin to have a connection with that person. Do you know there's a connection in suffering that can only be had on earth because in heaven there won't be any? See, when I get to heaven, he says, I'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow. So that I have an opportunity today through suffering to come into an intimacy with God that I'm never going to have even in all of eternity because it won't be there. Jesus says this in John 15. I mean, why wouldn't we suffer? Didn't Jesus? He says, if the world hates you, guess what? It hated me first. You know, I've noticed as Kristen and I have, have pursued God more, there have been certain people that we've been friends with or that we've run around with that, you know, they just, maybe they don't hate us, but man, we're not, we're not hanging out anymore. Might be some certain people that turn their back on you. They may hate on you. But Jesus says this, hey, don't be surprised. I mean, they hated me first. And if you're walking with him, you're going to have some opposition. You're going to have some suffering. He says, the world would love you as one of its own if you, if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. They persecuted me. Naturally, they'll persecute you. And if they'd listen to me, they'd listen to you. So I don't want to tell you that life's going to be tough, but I will tell you this. God's always good. And that when you're going through the difficulties of life, Jesus has experienced every single emotion that you're currently going through. And so you can draw on Jesus in times of suffering differently. I mean, when things are good, if anything, a lot of times we forget about God. I remember... Moses even warned the children of Israel. He says, when you go into the land, the, the, the promised land, you've eaten and you've done all this, and don't forget about God, because it's easy. But there's this thing about when you're truly suffering. I'm not talking about suffering. First uh, Peter talks about this. He says, hey, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a busybody. That's not suffering for the Lord. 
Anybody ever suffer for your own bad actions? Okay, that, that's, not, that's not suffering for the Lord. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I didn't pay my dealer last week, and I'm really suffering for it this week. No, that, that's, that's not suffering for Jesus. Oh, I ran around with my wife, and she kicked me out of the house. That, that's not suffering for the Lord. That's suffering for your own stupidity and sin. Peter says this. He says, rejoice as much as you participate. There's that word again. In the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Here's the great thing. The Holy Spirit is in you. He lives in you when you accept Jesus. But He comes upon you and rests on you in times of suffering. The very Spirit of Christ that sustained Him through everything He went through. It's the same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus now comes on you. Do you think He knows what's going on? Do you think He's been there? Do you think that's worth something? The spirit of glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. I love that. Don't be a busybody. It's got murder, theft, and busybodies. I can never figure out the logic in that, but it must be a bad thing. Criminals, busybodies. However, however, if you suffer as a What's Christian mean? It means little Christ. If you suffer for the things that Christ suffered for, they hate him, they're going to hate you. They didn't listen to him, they're not going to listen to you. Neglected him, they neglect you. Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. I can tell you this, Paul gives us this hope. I gave you a lot of scripture today. I think Phil asked for it when he opened in prayer. He said, who's here? who's here to hear the Word? Well, I don't want to hear the Word. I just want to laugh. Well, you can do both, but yeah, obviously the Word is more important. Gave you a lot of Scripture. I encourage you to go home. Study it this week. You know, let, let God open His Word up. You have the very writer of the Bible in you. Here's what Paul says about sufferings. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Here's what we fail to realize. See, there's going to come a day when Jesus comes. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, in that day we're going to know to the degree that we're known. We'll see him face to face. And so that, that God will open up our understanding to the degree that Jesus knows us, we'll, we'll, know, all th- we'll know things. I don't, know, I don't really know that we'll know all things. I kind of think we will, but just give me grace on that one. But what's going to happen, we think it's really bad now, but Paul says this. He says, he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed 
Now, most translations say the glory that will be revealed to us. But it's really the Greek word en, E-N. It says the glory that will be revealed in us. And so here's what I know, is you're carrying a glory in you, the very glory of Jesus Christ in you. And that someday when he comes and, and he opens and takes the lid off of our mind, we're going to realize that the things we're going through now don't even compare to what he's already placed in us. We just don't know it. We don't comprehend it. But he said the suffering you're going through is just, it's, so, it's insignificant compared to the glory that's going to be revealed, not just to you, but in you. God's, is that worth something? And we're worried about, well, I got to do this, I got to do that, let me shine up another one. Don't be shining anything. Get to know Jesus. Get to have a, a, not just a relationship that you invite him in. See, See, Jesus is more than a ticket to heaven. I mean, a lot of times we either want a ticket out of hell or a ticket into heaven. So much more. We sang it earlier. I want more. I want more. I want more. God has, He's unlimited. His capacity to give is only limited by your willingness to yield. That's it. The more I yield, the more He gives. The more I yield, the more He gives. He's got so much more. All those things that we think are worthwhile, not so much. There's only one thing in this world that's priceless. And it's not the credit card commercial either. Priceless is knowing Jesus. I encourage you this week to take a little time and get to know him more. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. All right. Father, just right now, Lord, everything that we thought was valuable, everything we've ever thought that we've done that's merit, that's worth something, Lord, it's worthless compared to you compared to what you've done, compared to the value and the excellence of knowing and sharing and being intimate with you. Father, I confess in my own life, there's been times I've made it about me and what I do. and I want to do more for you so you'll do more for me, and it's never about that. Father, I pray for each person here today. Lord, I pray that they would pursue you above all else. That they'd realize that you're the most beautiful, the most priceless, the most worthy of infinite value in the universe is you. 
Holy Spirit, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, I just ask that you would start convincing them that they they need Jesus. They need to start today. They need to start by making a decision to accept you. So while your heads are bowed, if there's anyone here and you don't know Jesus, I want to pray for you. I just ask you, just slip your hand up. You say, I don't know Jesus. I've never never had my sins forgiven. I've never made him Lord of my life. If that's you, slip your hand up. Give me a little wave. I want to pray for you. If you're here today, say, you know what? I've I've made a few things about me. I've made a few things about trying to earn God's favor, God's goodness. Pastor, pray for me that I would learn to value who I am in Christ, to see that that's above all else. I want to experience more of his power and identify with him and his sufferings. If that's you, I just want to pray for you too. See that hand. Anybody else? Father, you see the hands, the hearts. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what only you can do. Lord, I thank you for the willingness and the openness of those here today. Meet them at their point.